Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Green. This week's episode, we wanted to explore an area of the art world that's becoming increasingly important and also scrutinized to a certain extent, and that's philanthropy. There are several aspects of philanthropy that play a major role within the art world, and I think there are also several misperceptions. So in this week's episode of the podcast, we're joined by Leslie Ramos, author of the brand new book, Philanthropy in the Arts, A Game of Give and Take which you can get now on Amazon or anywhere else where you buy books. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks so much for listening. Leslie, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Adam. Absolutely. Well, philanthropy is a very important part of the art world, and it's much needed for our institutions to continue to exhibit and really be caretakers for artwork. So I'm excited to chat with you. And one of the first things I wanted to discuss with you is something that you detail in your book, which is that museums are in a financial crisis. I think this fact is actually surprising to a lot of people. When you think about museums and their incredible buildings and the collections they have, It's easy to assume that they're financially healthy, but that really isn't the case. So what is the extent of this crisis and how did we arrive here? It's it's, it's a complicated, but also very simple way to put it. Um, It's not just museums. I would say the nonprofit sector in the arts um, has been seeing a decline in funding. It's the nonprofits, but it's also the support for artists, for artist awards, for arts education. And when we think about museums specifically, you're absolutely right. Um, There is this perception that, especially when it comes to the big museums, that these beautiful structures that are, you know, packed with gorgeous art are not necessarily need for funding. One of the main issues with it is that Arts institutions are not necessarily that vocal about that need for support. And unlike other kinds of charities, for example, charities in education, charities in poverty alleviation, charities in health, they're not necessarily openly fundraising through normal fundraising channels that other charitable enterprises would use. The need for support is always generally disclosed with existing donors and people who are already visiting these institutions and who know or are more or less aware of, you know, the intricacies of supporting the arts. So I think, you know, this financial crisis is also a crisis of relevance is, you know, how do we, why are we not getting more people through museums? Why are people not visiting museums? Why are people not interested in supporting museums? It's often because they don't know, they might not be aware of their existence. Perhaps also because museums are not necessarily being that loud about showing this message. And so the COVID pandemic, during that time, museums were obviously closed to the public for an extended period. How did that exacerbate this funding issue that you've described that museums were already experiencing? Well, you know, museums have always needed to fundraise or to rely on philanthropy or to rely on different sources of funding. Um, What we noticed during the pandemic, and, you know, the book tries to be as global as it can be in the sense that it does try to highlight examples of, you know, philanthropy all around the world. It is important to mention that most philanthropic efforts in the arts are concentrated in the US, the UK, 
Europe and then rest of the world. But generally speaking, um, institutions are funded in three primary ways, state support, commercial support, earned revenue, and philanthropy. In the US, you also have endowments, uh, which is slightly different, but that's mostly only for big institutions. The pandemic, in different cases, um, exposed some of the fragilities of that model. So, for example, when you had institutions that were primarily reliant on, you know, commercial revenue, for example, revenue from the restaurants, from their shop, even ticket revenue, and they were forced to close down and they didn't have anyone coming in through those doors to buy the book, to buy the catalog, to eat at the restaurant, to buy the ticket. They saw their finances, well, pretty decimated. Um, on other sides of the world, not so much in the U.S., institutions that relied on state support did not do as badly. But what that also showed was that COVID was exposing some of the fragilities of having primarily state support in the sense that when need is elsewhere, state support also risks of decreasing. Um, and same for philanthropy. Uh, philanthropy is a good way to diversify your funding revenues. But at the same time, you cannot just rely on philanthropy because when there are other needs, and again, going back to the pandemic, the fact that you had you know, a very terrible uh, thing happening in the world and there were many, many people in need, the arts were not necessarily at the forefront of that support. So, you know, one of the issues, I think, just to summarize that we saw with COVID is that, you know, trusting one so like one source of revenue can be tricky and it's it would be easier to try and diversify as much as possible. A very noteworthy trend related to philanthropy that you do address in your new book is that we've seen a trend of large gifts to arts institutions, often from individuals, becoming highly scrutinized to the point where some gifts have either been rejected and some have even been returned. What is the recent history of this trend? When did we start seeing so much scrutiny for gifts? Um, that's, a, that's a very good question. Um, I would say, you know, in, in the recent history of philanthropy, and I'm going to go back, I would say, to the 1950s and 60s, um, all the way to today, there's always been philanthropic support that has had, you know, has raised doubts as to whether it should be accepted or not. And I'll give you, you know, a, a slightly um, earlier example, and then I'll, I'll talk about the more recent ones. But, you know, there was a time where institutions were very happy to receive funding from cigarette companies and tobacco companies. Um, and that went on, I would say, pretty much until the late 80s, early 90s, well after we knew that cigarettes were not great for our health. Now, I would say nowadays, it would be very rare to see a museum or a nonprofit institution in the arts accepting gifts for this kind of funding. So I think to add to your question, I would say it's, it's individuals for sure, but, you know, unethical sources of funding or questionable sources of funding can also come from companies. And it is something that is also being scrutinized nowadays. In the most, in the more recent past, um, I would say more awareness around this topic and about gift acceptance started with the opioid crisis, first in the US and then in the rest of the world. And 
with Sackler money. So the Sackler family was a very philanthropic family that was heavily involved with the opioid crisis um, in the U.S. They were major donors to the arts. And the support, which, you know, was considered pure art washing, was heavily contested by museums, by artists, by museum visitors, to the point that museums had to stop taking uh, funding from Sacklers on both sides of the Atlantic and also start becoming more aware about where funding came from. This came from museums, but again, this also came from artists. If we look at the trend, um, I would also say that it's worth mentioning that until not that long ago, artists and the general public would not necessarily be that involved in that decision-making process of should we accept a gift or should we not? Whereas now what I have noticed is that, especially when it comes to contemporary art and living artists, there is an expectation of knowing where the funding for, say, an exhibition about an artist is coming from. Artists are becoming more curious and more aware, and they don't necessarily want their names associated to bad apples. Yeah, I think we've definitely seen artists become a lot more active and vocal and conscious on this front. Do you think this trend will continue in the foreseeable future? Yes, and I I would like to add fortunately and unfortunately, because I think there are great um, outcomes out of this. The fact that we are becoming more aware of where funding for beloved art institutions come from is a great thing because accountability is important. And we are trying to promote institutions that, you know, celebrate beauty, celebrate knowledge, celebrate arts, cultures, so, culture. So we should be aware uh, of, you know, what I what I mentioned in the book as good giving and bad giving and avoid art washing at all costs. But at the same time, I do feel that because gifts are now heavily scrutinized and there is this misconception that all sources of funding could be ethically wrong that that fear might be discouraging great people and great funders from supporting the arts just for fear of the backlash. So I think it's important to acknowledge, and this is something that, you know, I, I try to mention a lot because it doesn't, it, it often doesn't come up in the media that, you know, for every Sackler and for every bad apple out there, there are lots of amazing people supporting the arts, sometimes anonymously or sometimes with, you know, smaller gifts that don't necessarily make, you know, the headlines that care about the art and that support the art. And I don't, I hope that that doesn't discourage others from wanting to support both individuals and companies. And another issue that you address in the book is that we're in the midst of a significant intergenerational change in wealth. And you discuss the behavior of future generations and how they may be different. Would you say younger generations are as philanthropic as prior ones? And how do they feel about supporting the arts? We are definitely experiencing a transfer of wealth, an intergenerational transfer of wealth. Data tells me that these new generations are philanthropic, that there is an inclination to give, to support, but there's also an inclination to give and support in different ways. Um, beyond the arts, so in the wider philanthropy sphere, we are noticing, we're seeing, we're witnessing something called impact philanthropy. We're also learning about trust-based philanthropy. And 
you know, all the way to, you know, a slightly newer trend called effective altruism, um, all of which are ways mostly um, celebrated by younger generations of wanting to support, wanting to give back, wanting to donate funding, money to causes that they think are going to help solve the world's problems. So to answer your question, like very bluntly, yes, I think the, uh, younger donors are still, younger generations are still philanthropic. My concern is more that the arts might not necessarily be at the top of their priorities. And, you know, the, the reason I explained that, and I don't necessarily have enough data to just prove this point by point, is that it starts with arts education. It starts with early access to museums, to institutions, to seeing art. It's very rare that a donor, a philanthropic individual with the capacity to give, if they have never been to an institution before, it's unlikely that in their 40s and 50s, they're going to come to an institution and realize the, the value of it, the importance, but also the fact that they need to support these institutions because of the amazing work that they do. So I think it's linked to different things, but I think it's also linked to the fact that impact and how you make an impact with philanthropy nowadays is measured slightly different. If we go back to, you know, the way that most donors would support institutions until a few years ago, you would notice that many institutions have donors' names on their walls, on their galleries. They have donor, pan donor panels with like names of everyone that has supported. I would say that's like the most tangible example that I can give you of the difference between older generations and the new one. Younger donors are not that interested in having their names on walls of institutions. If they're still keen on supporting, they want to support in different ways. They might still support financially, um, but they don't necessarily want that kind of very public recognition. And again, I think that links back to what we discussed before, that there's always a slight fear of backlash um, with, you know, the fact of associating their names with any cause nowadays. And so if we have anyone from museums who are listening, what advice would you give them on how they can not only survive the funding crisis, but actually financially thrive in this environment? I think museums are in a very complicated place right now, because on the one hand, they are these places that people love and respect. And, you know, as, as, a, as a community or as different communities, we do turn to museums to look for answers, to feel inspired. And, you know, we all want to feel represented. We all want to feel like these places also belong to us. But at the same time, it's very hard for museums to please everyone. And I think museums are, because of their expertise, because of the knowledge that they're meant to be safeguarding, because of, you know, the tradition that holds them together, I think they do need to solidify, you know, that expertise and not be afraid of making certain decisions and of trying new models and different things. If, you know, the gala doesn't work anymore, if the gala is just too complicated, perhaps try a smaller gala and use some of those resources, some of those fu that funding to try and come up with a slightly different model that could attract new donors, but also try a slightly different commercial arrangement to see what else is out there that could be helping you, one, bring revenue, 
but also get your numbers back. Because one of the things that we have noticed as well is that, sure, numbers are coming back to the pre-pandemic level, but very slowly and not at the same rate in all institutions. So I think it's also very important, yes, to think of revenue diversification and solid finances, but also let's get people to museums, let's get younger people um, to museums and show them the importance of these amazing places that in many cases have been there for centuries and hopefully will still be there um, for a long time. And then lastly, let's say we have collectors listening or people who are just art enthusiasts or art supporters. What advice would you share with these individuals who want to become philanthropic and maybe have some hesitancy or uncertainty about how to give and perhaps most importantly, who they should be giving to? Um, look, what I have, what I have learned um, in many years of working as a philanthropy advisor is that people want to do good. People want to do good. People want to serve. People want to help. Um, my advice would always be to not fear, feel overwhelmed. Do not feel that it's too little. Um, you know, institutions, artists, nonprofits, the art world can do a lot and they don't necessarily need a lot. And I always mention this, being philanthropic in the art world is can often be much more cost effective than, for example, supporting other causes um, that require greater, greater funding. So don't be afraid, you know, start, you can start with, you know, small donations, you can start by becoming a member of your local institution, visit these institutions, try to meet um, the people working there, try to understand what their needs are, take your children to see these places and, and enjoy the art. I have found that people become more philanthropic if they get to see what they're supporting, if they get to enjoy the experience and they get to see the impact and the value of what they're supporting firsthand. So go out there, check your local institutions. If you can support both, support your small local institution and also support the big museums that definitely also need help. But if you can only support one, start start by supporting small and, and try to enjoy it. That's great advice. Leslie, thanks so much again for coming onto the podcast and discussing many different important facets about philanthropy in the arts. And for our listeners who haven't already, make sure to get Leslie's new book, Philanthropy in the Arts, A Game of Give and Take. You can find it now on Amazon or anywhere else. Thanks again, Leslie. Thank you for having me.